I'm Seth. And I'm Jonathan. And welcome to No Experts Allowed. You know what we love? The Bible. You know what we don't love? When people use the Bible to scare or hurt others instead of allowing it to transform them and their communities. So we're trying something different. Two Bible nerds hosting a podcast that isn't about technical details, but is about two simple questions. What's the story and what's the point? One of us will prepare for the conversation. Let's call them the non-expert. The other will respond to the story as they hear it. We'll call them, and you, the storyteller. So we can show you that you don't need to be an expert to hear the Bible speak to our world. Join us. Let's tell a good story today. Hello, Jonathan. Hello, Seth. How are you? Great. How are you? I'm just glad to be with you today, as always. I'm glad to be with you, too. Let's get into our question. Okay, I'm ready for it. I'm. We gotta jump right in, because I'm so excited for it this week. <laughs> what would you do in this particular situation? Would you want to go to the doctor or go to the dentist? Just for, like, a checkup. Neither of them are for, like, an emergency. Oh. I think just based on my experiences of the past year or so, I'd gotta go with the doctor... I've just had a lot of time at the dentist in the past year. I've had some pretty extensive work done, and I'm, I think I'm burnt out from dental visits. So, <laughs> so I think just to change it up, I'd go with the doctor. But also, I don't know, the doctor usually makes me worry a little more because they could identify something that's usually more serious. But yeah, I've just had too much dentist lately, and I, I'm ready to be done with it. <laughs> Yeah, I think I might go doctor, even though it does generate some anxiety for me, too. Like, I go in, and they check my blood pressure and my heart rate. It's always, like, super high. And I'm like, it's not usually this high, I promise. You know, my heart's like... I'm just like, I'm just nervous because I'm here. (laughs) Do you know that? Do you track your heart rate and blood pressure? Well, they they asked me to the one time, so I did for, like, like, a week, and it was normal. Oh. So then I went back and I was like, I checked for a week and it was normal. And they were like, just a week. And I was like, well, it was normal. So I figured I didn't need to keep tracking it. I hope you have, I hope your blood pressure is not a problem, Seth. Our faithful, our faithful listeners cannot afford to lose you. Thanks. That's kind of them. Since we'd both rather go to the doctor, would you want to read our passage and see? Yeah. I'm curious to see what connected. I'm curious to see what about teeth and dental work is in our passage this week, but I'm glad to read it for us. This is Numbers chapter 21 verses 4 through 9 from the New International Version. They traveled from Mount Hor along the route to the Red Sea to go around Edom, but the people grew impatient on the way. They spoke against God and against Moses and said, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There's no bread, there's no water, and we detest this miserable food. Then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. They bit the people, and many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, We we sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, Make a snake and put it up on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake 
and put it up on a pole. Then when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, they lived. Oh my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) I want someone to recreate this passage with Samuel L. Jackson as Moses. (laughs) Uh, And it could be... uh, Snakes, snakes on a plane, but instead of a flying plane, it's like the plane next to Mount Hor, you know, getting around Edom. But before we finalize this movie plot and the and the production credits, why did you go with the new international version this week? I went with the NIV this week because I thought this is sort of a strange passage, and it might not be familiar to everyone. So I wanted the translation not to be anything too funky. I didn't want the translation to distract us from what's what's really a, an interesting story. I tried to keep it simple this week. But what did you notice? I think it is an understatement <laughs> what you said, that this is a strange text. Three things stood out to me. First, the Israelites' complaint, something we hear about often. It was just like, we detest this miserable food. These, you know, the bread and quail that just appear out of nowhere that they can just pick up and like i get it it's it's the same thing every day but that just stands out and we often we often emphasize that that god sent venomous snakes as a response to those complaints just feels like a response that's totally out of proportion to what they said (laughs) it's like i'm gonna complain about the service here at this restaurant and then someone's going to come out and like start attacking me with swords like that or like like put me in a chamber filled with bees or something ridiculous that just is totally unnecessary the third thing that stood out and this doesn't really have any significance but the fact that Moses just casually makes a snake out of bronze like, <laughs> like <laughs> that just i don't know we can't even make coffee from last week yeah and yeah. like he could just form things out of bronze. Yeah. Moses, going back to that question, Moses is the one who should make the arts and crafts table. He would have some great bronze nickety knacks that could be for sale. But that was just, I don't know, that just made me laugh. There were a lot of things that made me laugh, and my laughter is covering up how uncomfortable I am with this passage. Because God does not seem like God in this passage to me. This, this does not feel like the God I worship. Honestly, I hope we can, I hope we can explore this and dive a little deeper, but this is just a real weird passage. It's really challenging. It is. And I think not only is it challenging that God sends the venomous snakes, but then how it's resolved is strange. Like God doesn't get rid of the venomous snakes. Yeah. It's like, it's like another like roundabout way. And I have like, I have two some questions about this. Like, okay, you got to look at this bronze snake that's up on the pole. But, like, can you see it from everywhere in the camp, I guess? Like, what? So did Moses casually make a giant bronze <laughs> snake? <laughs> that's what I wonder. Like, how big is this thing? I don't know. It's interesting. And here's one more interesting tidbit. And I only know this because of Dr. Brian Smith. I'm a psychologist. Yes. In 2 Kings, when Hezekiah is king, he breaks into pieces this bronze snake 
that they apparently still have, and the Israelites have been burning incense to it, and they were calling it Nehushtan. This is 2 Kings 18, hmm. verse 4. It's still around, like, like years later yeah. in the text, and they're, like, worshiping it like it's, like, some kind of god. It's, like, so fascinating to me. Yeah, and I know there are similar connections to stories in Israel's history about, like, the golden calf as well. And so I'm wondering how how much this kind of story is them looking back and, like, making meaning about something that's existing in their present moment from this story that's so central to their identity. Because I know that that might be part of the origin of the golden calf narrative that involves Aaron and Moses and the Israelites in the wilderness. But I want to go back to what you were saying about how strange the, the solution is. Sometimes our theology gets us in this way where God is both the source of the problem and the solution. And like we're encouraged to see God is merciful in that solution while the problem is actually causing real human suffering. And I think for me, where I see this the most are traditions where God has chosen and ordained how all things are going to happen. And so God has chosen for suffering to happen. God has chosen for, you know, even just like natural disasters, all these things have to fall under the umbrella of God's choice, God's orchestration. Then God gives us the solution in Jesus. That kind of comparison feels exactly like what you were talking about, like, why is this the solution to that problem that you created? Like, if you created the snakes, why not take away the snakes? <laughs> if you created the option to choose evil and suffering and the horrible, horrible harm that humanity is able to do to one another and to all of creation, why not take that opportunity away? And I don't know. I, I don't fall into that theological camp, so those questions aren't quite so pressing for me anymore, but it feels like that kind of parallel example that God is somehow exempt from the standards that we would hold one another to. And to some extent, I think I might agree with that, but for God to operate in such a nonsensical way feels pretty challenging to me. Yeah, if God created the problem, you would think that God could solve it, right? Like, right. Which here, I mean, I think that's part of the strangeness of the story. Yeah. Like, God does seem to solve the problem, but like we talked about in this kind of roundabout way, not not the direct way that we would think. I do like my idea for snakes on a plane. P-L-A-I-N. Dude, that's, that's genius. Do you think Samuel L. Jackson would be open to playing Moses? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Good. That'd be awesome. He'd yeah. be a more representative like image of Moses than almost anyone who has right. played Moses. <laughs> then Ben Kingsley? yes <laughs> okay so i've clearly got a bunch of theological issues with this passage mm -hmm. seth help me out what have you okay. been exploring what have you been thinking about that's helping you think about this passage so i've been thinking about this in reference to this the second king's passage the snake on a pole is now an idol and i've been mm. thinking about things that have that are helpful at one point but have kind of passed their usefulness and have become idols hmm. what got me thinking about idols is admittedly i saw a picture of 
a large gold Donald Trump statue at CPAC. Yep. The literal gold statue. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, okay, like this is this is as clear as it gets, I think. But then I was also thinking, okay, well what what idols are there that are much less obvious than this that they're like rolling mm. into the building? So idols that initially had some use, some specific purpose that would have been good, that have lost that good is, is what you're talking about. Exactly. So you're yeah, saying kind of... that giant gold Trump statue has a good purpose in its USA flag board shorts and... <laughs> <laughs> the material that it was created out of, if we melted it down, that would be very useful. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> mm. Yeah, I don't, I don't really know. I have just been trying not to think about that statue much, to be honest. Good. I'm, I'm actually very intrigued by this course of conversation, and I think I'm willing to go there as long as we're still willing to acknowledge that the questions that we've brought up so far are still, like, hanging over this conversation, that there's not a ton of resolution, at least for me, and maybe we'll get a little bit more, but oftentimes I find when we explore texts like this, you have to go in that kind of direction to make them useful, but the, those questions don't necessarily get answered and they don't necessarily have to either you can you can feel two things at once a text can be helpful and unhelpful at the same time and it's when we begin to learn and embrace those kinds of tensions that we begin to see a new depth of experience uh, woven throughout the scriptures that may not have been available for to us before when we just try to clean everything up i'm with you that i don't think we have resolved any of these lingering theological questions, and I'm interested to see where this goes, to see what, what we do resolve and what stays unresolved. What yeah. questions do we still have when we get to the end that, that are maybe unanswerable for us mm. at this point? All right. So useful things that have become idols, and I would say maybe idol idols, you know, idols, yeah. That, oh, yeah. <laughs> idols that are not, not active. They're, they've become idol Idol idols. That's what I'm going to say. <laughs> okay. Do you think a lot of the things that come to mind immediately are things related to not how the how churches today are built, but how they operate more so. Mm -hmm. So less less physical, less tangible things. Although you could identify like a pipe organ or a fellowship hall or carpet in the sanctuary or things like that. That. <laughs> may have served a good purpose but i think i think of things that oftentimes are holding holding folks back whether it's a committee or committee structure or a particular ministry that has become so dysfunctional but because it's it's so ingrained into the heart of the church's identity that they persist with it even though it's causing more destruction and harm and so it's like, this This ministry may have done good before, but now it's leading to our downfall. And maybe we need someone like Hezekiah to come in and smash it up. <laughs> <laughs> but that, that's those are examples that come to mind, but I'm still not, I'm not thinking of anything too tangible yet or specific. But that's the direction my mind's going. With the committees, I was thinking of how pastors can do this. Like they can be 
particularly helpful to churches hmm. at one point in their ministry, right? That their skills match the context that the church finds itself. Yeah. But then they, they either, they don't adapt or they don't leave. And somehow that they're, they're not, they don't match the, the organization that they work for anymore. Oh man, that's such a profound, profound idea. I love that. Say more about it. <laughs> <laughs> There's another side to it. And I've seen this in the church that I grew up going to. When you have a pastor who was, who was there for an extraordinarily long time, that that person can also sort of become an idol. Mm-hmm. Like whoever comes next is never right. going to be the same. Yeah. Right. So I won't use any names, but the church that I, that I grew up going to, they had a pastor who was there for 40 years for his, his entire career. He had mm-hmm. been the associate pastor and then they called him to be what was in this, like the senior pastor. Right. And when he left, it was like, whoever they got was never going to be as good as him. Mm-hmm. I actually, I know the person who came after him pretty well. And I think he's an amazing pastor. So it's interesting the way that their connection with the former kind of prevents people from seeing how God's working through the new pastor. Well, it's 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 so interesting how we so quickly forget how our cherished things in life were once new and were once innovative yeah. in some way. Hmm. You know, I, the example I always pull out are hymns. You know, the, yeah. the yeah. songs that have become kind of the the bane of some church's existence were, you know, theological songs and lyrics written to bar songs and pub songs. Yeah. Yeah. In a lot, not in every case, but in a lot of cases. And that that innovation to move away from a more more chant like mode of musical expression to kind of fully embrace instrumentation in some way. God forbid you have any drums or a guitar or anything, but still, like moving in that direction was at one point a revolutionary innovation for how the church worshipped. And now as over the past several decades that experience is changing more and more. There is such profound resistance to that change among some because it's not what they're now holding dear. And that's not to say that, you know, you have to embrace every change that comes along. That's, that's not what it is, but it's again, how quickly we forget or neglect to remember how the things that we have are not necessarily intrinsically connected to the existence of whether it be a church or ourselves, whatever it is, you know, the church that you've referenced. And I can think of churches too, like the church existed and did ministry before that pastor was leading them and they will continue to do it afterwards. And yet we hold on to these ideals, cleaning up messy parts of our history and our stories for the sake of longing for some comfort that really probably never existed. You know, even thinking about painful experiences I've had in my career related to churches that I've 
I've connected to, you know, with time and with distance, the pain of those memories has, has healed and has faded too. Hmm. And there are times where I pay attention, where I recognize that the wound might still be festering a little bit, but for the large part, you know, we move past the things that were so crucial to our existence at the time, you know, things that we cared so deeply about that we now don't know anything of or other things like that. You know, we, we are continually growing and changing. And if we do not, we die. And yet we, we can look back and identify that and still be so resistant to change and still, still hold on to our idols, even if they are causing our demise and our destruction. Those darn idol idols. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But with those darn idol idols i always have to watch myself with this like i know that this is like my perennial temptation is is to idolize the bible over and and against god Hmm. right like something that that is idol like you say that's static like to look at that and not to see through it or into it at the, at the living God. I hope it's my love for God that can distract me. Like I want I want to read the Bible because I want to get to God, but I end up being distracted by the Bible itself. Yeah. Mm. It's like I always have to watch. My temptation when we do these is always just be like, look at this one word in <laughs> Hebrew. Look at this. Like this is amazing. Like in our passage, when the Israelites are complaining, they say there's no bread, there's no water, and we detest this miserable food. But in Hebrew, bread and food are the same word. So some commentators have said about this text that their complaint doesn't make any sense. They say there's no bread and there's no water and we detest this miserable bread. But they already said that there isn't any bread. So my temptation is to is to get lost in that. Yeah. That's to get lost in the weeds. To get lost in the idol idols. It's almost as if these things that we hold dear become idols when we and, and I guess I would specifically relate this to the experience of the church, but these things become idols when we do just that, when we focus on the things themselves and not the abundant life in God that they might hold in store for us. You know, it's when yeah. you start, when you start worshiping the bronze snake instead of the life that God offers as questionably as it comes about, you know, the, the life, <laughs> the life that God offers by seeing God through this metal figure, you know, it's, it's that moment of moving past the rationale and the reason for that thing being there in the first place and that thing, that person, that idea becoming the end in itself. That's when we might need, when we might need the queen to come and smash it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think what you've sketched is, is the perfect way to think about how we can idolize pastors, right? We Mm -hmm. can idolize them and not the, the life that God brings. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it, it can, be particularly muddled when that 
pastor is the one who gets to tell you about the wonderful life that God brings. Right? Yeah. Like you could see how that can be how it can be confusing to try and untangle that. Man, so we've like what if we broken pastors <laughs> the bible like we've like shit like sanctuary carpets sanctuary car exactly <laughs> like church committees yeah they might have needed breaking but yeah, still <laughs> yeah and, and i think it's also worth saying none of these things are inherently bad like that's exactly what we're saying yeah exactly it's, it's all about it's all about perspective and as we approach these things that we hold dear as we consider the people who have been meaningful, you know, foremothers and forefathers for us in the faith, for parents for us in the faith, even, <laughs> but, you know, it is good to treat them with love and admiration and respect. It is when that love and admiration and respect becomes unquestioning and un- unequivocated that you might be moving into some sort of more unhelpful or even harmful territory too. There's something here too, you know, going back to this numbers passage about how inclusive both the problem and the solution in the situation are, if that makes sense. It's like, mm-hmm. it does the snakes weren't discerning in who they were biting. It doesn't sound like <laughs> so they bit the people and many of them died. <laughs> but at the same time, you know, where we might see God in, in the ark and the tabernacle or something like that. No, this, this opportunity for life was put in a place where anyone could see it wherever they were. And that, that just resonates with me as something to, to take hold of and take heart of, is that God is ready and available to meet us wherever we are. Even if the people we love move on, even if the place that we love changes, even if the Bible that we love gets in the way of us experiencing God, that doesn't deny God's presence with us and the opportunity that we always have to seek and move further into the abundant eternal life that God offers to us here and now. Yeah, the idol idols can be a barrier for us, but they never seem to be a barrier for God. Mm. Yeah. That seems like a great quippy place to to end do you have do you have anything else or are you ready to pray for us i think i'm ready to pray us out awesome let's do it living god the abundant life you offer us is always available and never becomes useless rather it breaks apart our idols refocuses us on you and your realm of justice and forgiveness Help us to look to you for life, knowing you offer it at every glance. Amen. Amen. To our listeners, thanks for joining us. Be sure to subscribe and tune in for our next episode. Jonathan, what story will we tell next week? Next week, we're taking a look at Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 through 34. But until then, leave us a review and find us on Twitter and Instagram to continue the conversation. Thanks for walking us through that story, Seth. Thanks for helping me tell it.